Hello and welcome to the ABC History Podcast. My name is Skylar and I am your wonderful host for this episode. In this episode, we got some interesting stuff happening. Well, let's start, shall we? The modern laws are currently in turmoil and the punishment for the offenses of laws are crazy and unfair during this time period. But just imagine what happened in Athens, Greece, back during the time of the Greeks. The invention of the Draconian Laws comes from a legislator named Draco of Athens, not to be confused with Draco Malfoy of Harry Potterville. The laws that he established were the body of law, or a set of rules that was characterized by very punishable measures implemented for what today would be considered relatively minor offenses. These laws, or also named the Draconian Constitution, were established nearly at the end of the 7th century BC in response to the unjust interpretation and modification of oral law by Athenian aristocrats. Many people asked why Draco made death the penalty for most offenses. He replied that in his opinion, the lesser ones deserved it, and for the greater ones, no heavier penalty could be found. Coolio, buddy! Here is the funny thing, though. The full draconian constitution that was written no longer exists, but severe punishments were afforded to be convicted offenses, incredibly minor, known as stealing an apple was punishable by death. That makes no sense, but okay. There may have been only one penalty, execution, for all convicted violators of the Draconian Constitution, and the laws were said to be written in blood instead of ink. Draco was not considered a politician reformer until the discovery of Aristotle's Constitution of the Athenians. Although the Draconian Constitution is not mentioned by contemporary historians, his position as a political and constitutional reformer and a lawgiver was emphasized by Aristotle. Despite the repeal of most of his laws except those governing homicide. Okay? Interesting. Am I right? Okay, let's come out of ancient Greece here and the draconian and the stealing apples and death thing. Let's talk about that mouse. We all know this famous mouse behind the name of the Walt Disney Company with the parks and the movies that bring joy and happiness. But Walt Disney actually didn't create the iconic Mickey Mouse that had become the mascot of the Disney Company. Walt Elias Disney was the man behind the incredible entertainment company that we know about today after starting the company with his brother Roy. So he originally he started a company called Erex Disney Animation Company that was made with both Walt Disney and Ewer and Uber er, or Ube, as we, we will call him in this episode, in the 1920s. But then Disney soon abandoned their plans and started work at the Kansas City Ad Company, where he soon got Ube employed. Their differences complemented each other, and Disney created another company dragging Ube around called Laugh 
O. Graham's films, where they could explore the wonders of animation. The company was not in good shape, and Ube was forced to leave his friend and return to Kansas City. But he still helped him on projects he could not handle alone. Until Walt was forced to declare bankruptcy. So, now Disney had to make the choice to either return to Kansas City or try something new. It's Disney. He tried something new and he went to California, where Oob stayed in the Great Plains hoping to create the animation company of his dreams. So, Walt created the Disney Brothers production with his brother, Roy, as we mentioned earlier, that would become the Walt Disney Studios and invited Oob to join him out west. He got in his car and he started the seven-day journey to Hollywood when Oob got to California where he created Oswald the Luck Rabbit. This became an instant hit because the idea of animation was still very new, but the ownership of the animation belonged to the distributor, Charles Mintz, who then sold the right to Universal Studios and took the majority of Disney's animation team. Wonderful. In short terms about the relationship, Mintz would take the money and that was being earned and barely give any to Disney and then Walt signed over the rights to Oswald to Mintz and Walt vowed he would never not own a character that he created and left Universal taking, as you guessed it, Ube with him. I feel so sorry for him. Trying to think of new ideas and get the studio off its feet, Yub thought of Mickey Mouse, a new and different character from those of Universal. Yub animated 60 to 700 frames per day, creating the famous clip of Steamboat Willie. And then Yub left Disney because of the credit he wasn't getting, and he started his own company called Eworks Animation. His company went flat. And Disney, of course, offered him a job. Ube accepted, but he said he would not work in animation ever again. But in the long run, Ube, the man who created Mickey Mouse, left his mark on the parks through the innovation to animation, and they're still used today. And it helped build every ride in Disney World in one way or another. Well, keeping on the theme of Walt Disney, let's talk about his death and what happened to his body. Was it cryogenically frozen? Let's find out. So, Walt Disney was a chronic smoker. His staff knew that he was due to the fact of his hacking and dry cough. His health had been declining for much of the last year of his life. And fans of his show, Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, began to notice how haggard and exhausted he looked on the air and wrote concerned letters to him about how raspy his voice had become. He was a longtime sufferer of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and emphysema, as well as severe damage to his cervical spine from falling off a horse while playing in a Hollywood polo tournament in the 1930s. Early November of 1966, he began to complain of severe neck and leg pain that interfered with his legendary ability to work and create. A chest x-ray uncovered a tumor the size of a walnut in his left lung, and oncologic surgeons recommended the immediate removal of the large portion of his lung. He cleared the most pressing things on his desk and returned to St. Joseph's 
hospital for surgery on November 6th. The surgeons found the tumor to be consistent with bronchogenic cancer. Disney concerned due to how short of breath he was, but the real problem was that the lung cancer had already spread widely to his lymph nodes and elsewhere in his body. Here's the sad thing. The always energetic man struggled to go back to work to the Disney studios after the operation, but the chemotherapy and the cobalt x-ray treatments drained him of both his creative and physical powers. He was rushed back to St. Joseph's Hospital two weeks later after coming back and died of circulatory collapse on the morning of December 15th, 1966. Fun fact though, Disney's last words according to Kurt Russell were, Kurt Russell. He had a personal relationship with him and he was told of a couple of about it a couple of years after his death by a woman in Disney's old office that wasn't his secretary. Interesting. And now the theory begins. There had been a rumor that Disney was cryogenically frozen that all started when a reporter in early 1967 claimed to have snuck into the hospital St. Joseph's Hospital in Burbank directly across the street from the Disney Studios and where he was treated during his final illness. The reporter disguised himself as an orderly, broke into the storage room, and saw the deceased Disney suspended in a cryogenic metal cylinder. In 1969, the French magazine Ice Paris, and later still the national tattler in the U.S. advanced the rumors by predicting Disney would be thought out in 1975. And then some claimed that his burial spot was a freezer stored underneath the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland. That's a little weird. And then there were several former Disney employees who continued to spread false stories about Disney's supposed big freeze. During the 1990s, these now discredited legends were confided as expert quotes in a couple of less than reliable Disney biographies. He was a science fiction fan who looked forward to future advances in science, technology, and medicine. His creation of Epcot, nicknamed Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow, was originally designed to demonstrate how Americans would live, work, and survive in the future. He could sense his impending demise. He ordered the cameras to roll as he addressed his department heads one last time. In front of his famous desk, a smiling Walt appeared to make laser beam eye contact as he told them what he expected their performance in the future, and he hoped to see him soon. Many books about cryogenics appeared after Disney's death, predicted a day when medical medicine advanced enough to repair the damage of the once diseased-riddled person who was frozen to be brought back to life. But there is no solid evidence that he was frozen, both his whole body, or his head, really. His daughter wrote in 1972, there is absolutely no truth about my father, Walt Disney, wished to be frozen. I doubt that my father had ever heard of cryogenics. What is the truth then? 
Disney was cremated two days after his death, and an urn containing his ashes were interred at the family mausoleum in the Forest Lawn Cemetery of Glendale, California. It was a small private service, attended only by his wife, Lillian, his daughters and their husbands, and children. The legend is so appealing because Americans never stopped loving the good old Uncle Walt. And all those wonderful stories, songs, and characters he introduced to the world. He truly made an impact. And the fact that he might be brought back to life would be the best thing ever. Not the draconian laws. That one's just straight up weird. And a little unfair, but you know, you get the picture. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Stay tuned for next week's episode with the letter E, I believe. And hopefully it's not that depressing. I hope. I hope you guys have a good afternoon, evening, day, wherever you are in the world. Have a good night.